John Hedekin lost his son to fentanyl in 2017. I was at work. I had the RCMP come to my workplace and uh, inform me that Ryan had died on his job site. And uh, that's all they could tell me. Now he's asking for the BC Coroner Service to change the way they label deaths, such as his son's. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. It's only been a year, so it's hard. Global News reporter Carolyn Jarvis spoke to mothers who had lost their children to fentanyl. And I look into my granddaughter's face and it's, thank God I have her. Because I have a part of my son, which is good, but bad. I mean, she misses her dad every day. And she's just realized that daddy's not coming home. And I had to empty the closet because his clothes just were there until just the last couple of days. And I emptied his closet. And she hasn't seen it yet. So it's going to be a hard weekend. (laughs) He died of an overdose in his own home. In his own home, and my granddaughter found him. How old was she? Five. Your five-year-old granddaughter found her father. Yep. Yeah. How many of you sat down with your children to talk about the risks of fentanyl? The week before my son died, he was home. We watched the news every night, and every night I asked him to explain it to me. What do you mean? Explain what it is. I didn't know what it was. So I said, please tell me what this is. And if you know what it is, why would you want to go out and get drugs and have the fear that it's in that drug? He says, you just take your chances, Mom. And a week later, he was dead. Illicit drugs continue to kill three people a day in B.C. Deaths are primarily affecting men in the prime of their life. The numbers for 2018 are staggering. 1,489 people died this year of a drug overdose. This isn't like when I was in school and the police were saying, Kids don't use drugs that might lead to a life of crime or poor decision-making. What we're saying is one time could be fatal. This is a report by my colleague Claire Allen about a father who lost his son to a toxic drug supply. Our province is in the midst of an overdose crisis. According to the BC Coroner's Service, so far in 2019, 584 people have died of a drug overdose in which fentanyl was present. Those statistics have become all too familiar to John Hedekin and his family. Hedekin's son, Ryan, was among the 8 million people in Canada suffering from addiction. This is a story about a young man battling addiction, his family that supported him, and how they're using their experience to work to change the way the government deals with the issue of addiction. Ryan is the oldest of our three children. He was an adventurous little guy, typical of lots of little boys growing up. He loved sports. He did well in school. He played hockey at a high level. He was our family IT guy. You know, he graduated high school and thought uh, business would interest him, and he got a business diploma at North Island College here in the Comox Valley, and that didn't uh, 
keep his interest, so he tried the electrical field, and he went to North Island College in Campbell River and completed his uh, electrical training and started uh, down the electrician path. Like, you know, all teenagers hit those years where they're not always under their parents' watch, and it's natural for kids to try alcohol and other substances, and Ryan was just like other kids. You know, what age that would have been, you know, it was 14, 15, 16 that Ryan started to do that, but it was still at a limited basis because he was up early with rep hockey practices. But Ryan was like his mom, alcohol didn't sit well in his stomach, and he switched from alcohol to marijuana. And, you know, I think that between alcohol and marijuana, it led to Ryan trying other substances. He ended up being addicted to heroin. When Ryan was 23 years old, his family found out about his addiction. Hedekin acted swiftly to get his son into treatment. Ryan went into a recovery facility in Nanaimo called Edgewood at a cost of $13,000 a month. Ryan did the, it was an eight-week program. He did the eight-week program and he came out and he got a job as an electrician on the new Campbell River Hospital being built. And Ryan relapsed shortly out of Edgewood which they told us there was a 92% chance he would relapse. Only 8% normally don't relapse. So for $13,000 a month, we were basically told that um, there's no hope. After his relapse, Hedekin and his family lost contact with Ryan for approximately six months. It was terrifying. And then he reached out to us and uh, asked for help. And we were able to get him into a facility in, in New Westminster called The Last Door. Before Ryan could enter the second recovery program, he had to wait until after the weekend. He called us on a Friday night, and recovery facilities don't do intake on weekends, so we had to wait till Monday before we were able to get him into a facility. And there's no detox available in the Comox Valley, so I had to drive around the valley for two days buying my son heroin, not knowing if it was going to kill him uh, before I could get him into recovery on the Monday. And uh, it was surreal uh, doing that. After spending eight months at the Last Door Recovery Center, Ryan graduated from the program and began living his life free from addiction. Despite his success, Ryan felt a lot of shame about the toll his addiction had taken on his family. Ryan felt such guilt for the cost of these facilities that he asked us to adjust our will so his brother and sister didn't have to pay for his expenses. Ryan returned to work on a construction site, this time in Vancouver. He had eight months sobriety, and his family thought he was looking forward to the future. But that all changed on April 24th, 2017. I was at work. I had the RCMP come to my workplace and... Uh, to inform me that Ryan had died on his job site, and um, that's all they could tell me. Ryan died after smoking heroin laced with fentanyl while on a break at work. He was 26 years old. Found out where he had been sent, his body had been sent. Uh, they couldn't tell us anything. And because of the number of people dying, um, they were backlogged. All they could say is because your son has been sent to this particular funeral home, that tells us that it was drug-related. And it was a week before we were able to get our son back to the Comox Valley because of the backlog and, and fentanyl deaths. You know, you can't move on in life because it happens every day. And it's been happening every day 
since Ryan died. So how do you how do you how do you try and move forward in life? You can't. In July, the BC Coroner's Service changed the terminology it uses to label a death such as Ryan's. They are now described as accidental, caused by an unintentional illicit drug overdose. However, Hedekin would like the word overdose to no longer be used at all to describe a death like his son's. I want that document to say that it was a drug death to toxicity. I don't want the word overdose on his report because he didn't overdose. He was poisoned with a toxic drug, and it needs to say what has happened. It's no longer an overdose, it's a death to toxicity, and the correct language needs to be on our son's report, and that's why we've asked them to do it, and that's why I've sent out letters trying to get media. There was a, an article in our local paper, and it was, you know, there was 55 overdose deaths in the Comox Valley. Uh, since 2016, and I sent a letter to the editor saying, please change your language and how you report, you know, on this crisis. It's not overdoses. People are being poisoned, and we have to call it what it is, and we have to address it for what it is. It may seem like an issue of semantics, but to Hedekin, he believes that the word overdose works to further stigmatize people and the family of people who struggle with substance abuse. Hedekin applied that same logic when writing his son's obituary. We said Ryan died battling the disease of addiction. We've always been open. I'm not ashamed of Ryan and, and his addiction. He, um, he didn't want it in his life. He fought so hard. But I do know so many people that haven't been able to put it in the obituary because they're ashamed and it's so wrong. Or they say he died suddenly and it didn't die suddenly. He was poisoned or he's fought the disease for so long and and we can put died fighting cancer bravely but we just can't put it in for for substance users. Hedekin and his family are calling on the federal government to step in and stop the toxic supply of illicit drugs. Our federal government needs to acknowledge that the prohibition of drugs is no more realistic than the prohibition of alcohol or marijuana. And we need to provide a clean source of regulated substances like we do for alcohol and marijuana. We need to get organized crime out of our neighborhoods, stop the drive-by shootings, quit wasting the billions of tax dollars, and acknowledge that drugs are part of life. We can't keep drugs out of prison, and they think they're going to keep them off the streets. Like it's, We have over 50 years of evidence of the failed war on drugs. It's because it's a war against ourselves. People use drugs. So let's, let's acknowledge it, let's stop people from dying, and, and support it. Our family is very close. The things that mean the most to us in life are being together. So all the dates that we had in our calendar, birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, anniversaries, Christmas, Thanksgiving, those were all dates when we got together um, to be with each other. And those dates now are all dates to grieve. And um, 
it's uh, it's something that we we all know when we get together. We're getting together as a foursome, not a fivesome, and we look forward to things that we plan to get together. And then when that day comes, it changes because we know there's somebody not here with us, and it's um. Some ways, I'm. I'm glad I'm turning 60 because I've. You know, I'm going to have 20 plus years, I hope, of this, but I couldn't imagine. Um, you know, my kids have got so many more years. This is going to be in front of them. For AM 980 CKNW, I'm Claire Allen. Coming up later in this episode. He was born to be on stage and, and in front of the camera, and he was just so vibrant all of the time. And so it's just a, one of those devastating things that, uh, you know, you never quite know. You know, everybody's born with a set amount of heartbeats. We remember Canadian musician John Mann. You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. Download and subscribe online now. John Mann, lead singer of Spirit of the West, passed away peacefully, surrounded by friends and family in Vancouver, B.C. on Wednesday, November 20th. He was 57 years old. Now, when John was just 50, he was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. He was born in Calgary in 1962. He moved to Vancouver when he was just a teenager, and he studied at Langara College before eventually dropping out to start the band. On the stage, there was nobody that had the stagecraft that John had. I mean, watching Spirit of the West play, especially at the Commodore here in Vancouver, is one of life's greatest treats. For me, it was bliss. Like I said, it's probably Spirit of the West live at the Commodore. First of all, was a yearly thing to do. You had to do, you had to go, and um, it was just soul renewing. And the the crowd, I used to remember standing and looking at the crowd of fans there and thinking, there is so much joy in this room. You, you couldn't help but walk out of there with a huge smile on your face. Dana G is a global news contributor, and she's a newspaper writer as well. I met John about 25 years ago through my husband, uh, Paul Hyde, who's also a musician. And Paul had worked with Spirit of the West early in their career, produced an album or two, I believe. And uh, he was best buddies with John and the rest of the band. And he took me to a gig. He knew that I... Um, he knew that I, I liked. I had discovered the album Labor Day, which is on one of my all-time favorite records, the Spirit of the West record. And he took me to a show at the Commodore, and then took me backstage, and I, I met them and fell in love. Literally fell in love with all those people because it was like a family immediately. Now I also spoke to Eric Alper. He is the publicist for Spirit of the West. You know, first and foremost, Eric, I I know that you knew John Mann personally and that you worked with him as his publicist. So uh, first of all, my condolences. How are you feeling today about his passing? Anybody that goes through Alzheimer's knows that, you know, this day 
is going to happen. You just hope that it's going to happen a lot later than sooner. But, you know, he's lived with it for a long time. So I think that we were kind of prepared. But you're never really fully prepared, are you? Yeah, you never really are when it comes to the loss of a loved one, eh? But, you know, I think so many people can relate to having someone that they care about in their life who has Alzheimer's disease, unfortunately. And what makes... John Mann's story, so additionally sad, is that he had early onset Alzheimer's from when he was just 50 years old. Yeah, you know, and especially somebody that was so vibrant. And that's not to say that, you know, your average person on the street isn't. Um, But, I mean, because he was just... He was born to be on stage and and in front of the camera and did music and did TV and did films and gave his his thoughts and his words and his actions for, you know, small theatrical companies that needed his help or or, you know, nonprofit associations. He was just so vibrant all of the time. And so it's just one of those devastating things that, uh, you know, you never quite know. You know, everybody's born with a set amount of heartbeats and, and, uh, you know the amount of outpouring from the fans in the last 12 hours, 15 hours has been astounding. And I know that it's helping out the band and his wife and and his kids. When you were talking about his vibrancy, it reminded me of a quote that I was reading in the Globe and Mail that said that John Mann helped create the soundtrack to countless Canadian parties and celebrations. And it made me think back to, you know, how many parties I've gone to or events I've gone to that when that song, Home for a Rest, would come on, everybody would start dancing and everybody would be having a good time. Oh, yeah. You know, if if you were a teenager or you went to university in the 1990s, you probably danced or saw Spirit of the West play when Home for a Rest, that song that came out from the album Save This House, was a monster hit and was played at every single frosh party and every single celebration. And then their next two albums with Go Figure and Faith Lip, it went gold and platinum. So a lot of people in Canada bought that, those albums and continue to support the band throughout and continue to support uh, John's solo albums and his career. And uh, But yeah, you know, I would put him right up there with um, Sloan and the Tragically Hip as probably three of the biggest bands for a decade or so during the 1990s, for sure. Eric Alper, thank you so much for chatting with me this morning. I really appreciate the conversation and you taking the time to do it, especially at a time like this. No problem. Thanks so much for uh, This for is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show and a podcast. Download, subscribe, or listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows from. Give us a rating and a review or email us. This is why at CuriousCast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.